Hi, and welcome to a Really Good Enough Parent podcast. My name is Christine Altwies. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and for 30 years I worked in intercountry and domestic adoption and family counseling. I'm the clinical director at Pona Roots Counseling Center, where our focus is on family systems, and I'm also a mother. I've created a Really Good Enough Parent podcast in response to what we see every day in our clinic. Childhood mental health issues are skyrocketing, and it doesn't have to be this way. I know that Really Good Enough Parenting is a skill we all possess. As a parent myself, I also understand how easy it is to lose sight and to mistrust or panic in the face of a melting down child or an impudent teen. The good news is that you have what it takes to help your child. Take a breath. See your child's innocence. You can do this. This podcast will feature some of the incredible people I've been lucky enough to meet in my life. No two have raised their children the same, and all have done a really good enough job. You'll hear new perspectives on how to handle tough situations. You'll be reminded of how your own parenting takes its cue from childhood. And hopefully, you'll feel invigorated to go do a really good enough job at this most rewarding of all human endeavors. A Really Good Enough Parent podcast is designed to be story time for adults. So thanks for being here with me today. I do appreciate you. Enjoy the show. Coming up on A Really Good Enough Parent podcast, my special guest all the way from Portland, Oregon, Scott Rogers. Scott has worked in film, television, and live theater for more than 30 years as a director, actor, and coach. Scott is happily married to fellow actor Jeannie Rogers and is the super proud dad of two grown-up kids, both of whom followed Scott and Jeannie into the film world. I've known Scott for enough years to know that he would have some good insights to share about raising his two incredible children. Although we had never previously talked about parenting prior to recording this episode, I just had a hunch that he would have interesting things to say, and I was right. So please enjoy this episode of A Really Good Enough Parent podcast with my dear friend, Scott Rogers. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of A Really Good Enough Parent. I am fill-in-the-blank, really, really good adjective, ecstatic, over the moon, happy, happy, happy to have my dear friend Scott Rogers uh, on with us today. Scott Rogers is a teacher, a father, a premier acting coach of many great actors who you've probably seen doing their thing. Uh, welcome, Scott Rogers. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And you're coming to us live from Portland, Oregon? Portland, Oregon. Yes. And I yeah. knew you back here in Honolulu. We were neighbors. We were for years ago. 10, 15, I don't know how long, for a long time. For a long time, we were neighbors yeah. and you coached me in acting once and I think you've worked with everyone in my family. and. <laughs> We know you through the acting community. You also directed a lot of plays here in Honolulu. I did. 
Yeah, I did. Well, we miss you, yeah. but it's nice to see you in Portland. And of course, we know you also um, because my wife was friends with your mom through the Waldorf School. Yes, the Waldorf School, which comes up frequently on my Really Good Enough Parent so, podcast. I find well, the older wife, I get. Sorry? No, sorry. I was going to say my wife taught for, uh, she's just finished this year. She's retiring from teaching drama at Waldorf schools. And it's been, I think it's been like 20, 24 years, something like that, uh, starting with the Honolulu Waldorf School. That's amazing. Yeah. I find the older I get, the more Waldorf makes sense to me. And, um, you're nodding. I like that. Thank you for oh, yeah. agreeing. Nodding comes across really well on a podcast. I know. <laughs> we'll work on that. Okay, I'll coach <laughs> yeah. you through this. Yeah, please. I'll need it. <laughs> okay, Scott. So um, we usually start off by talking about childhood because um, as really good enough parents, um, we tend to either do what our parents did or we radically depart from what our parents did. Um, so what can you share about your origin story? Um, yeah, boy, what can I remember? Um, it, it, I was so young then. <laughs> um, uh, my, my parents were very, um, lax, I would have to say. Uh, and, and, uh, I think I, I was able to take advantage of them more than I probably should have. Uh, my dad was, uh, very much the family man. He loved his kids. He loved spending time with kids and his kids, especially, but all kids. And, and he used to play a lot. So, uh, those are my, my best memories of childhood were playing with my dad, you know. I want to ask about the lax because I was just thinking this morning about the difference between parenting back in the 50s, 60s, 70s and parenting nowadays. And nowadays it just often feels exhausting and um, intense. And um, we were talking recently about how the word parenting didn't even exist, you know, back in the 50s and 60s. You didn't parent your kids. You just like had kids and that was it. So when you talk about your dad being lax, but then you immediately say he loved you and he spent a lot of time with you. Seems like a win. It, it was a win, but, but I think in, in hindsight, I would have probably benefited uh, from a little bit more structure um, it, with regard to school, with regard to um, piano lessons. If I had stuck with that, I would be playing the piano today. It, it's those kinds of things. But, you know, I, I could have kept playing the piano, but, you know. Uh, so I'm, I'm putting it on my parents, but it's probably not fair. It's interesting. I hear so often, I wish I had stuck with my fill in the blank instrument. So many adults rue that they didn't, you know, continue practicing. But if you were like me, I hated that half hour after dinner when I had to go practice my flute. It was the worst half hour of my day. Me, me too. I hated, I hated practicing piano and, um, and I don't know why, but both of my kids are accomplished musicians. <laughs> So uh, maybe because I never actually gave them lessons. Interesting. They found it on their own. That's an important Completely. point. My son's older than my daughter. And I uh, actually, when I was coaching on the TV show Baywatch, um, they, they are, one of the ways they thank their crew is by offering them roles sometimes. Uh, because then you get residuals from all over the world for the next well, still, this is 20-something, 30 years ago. Uh, but uh, uh, I, had to, I had to play this character who played a ukulele, but 
poorly. So the poorly part I, I could do, but I had no idea how to play. So uh, someone had ta taught me the chords or the, the notes to, to strum for uh, surf, if you know that song. And and so I'm sitting there practicing that, and my son's watching me practice that. And and then he, he grabbed the ukulele, and he played it effortlessly <laughs> the first time he's like this isn't that hard dad i'm like i know i know uh give me that you know but uh he just kept on going with that and and uh he he now plays just about any instrument you could name you know um he he walked in i'll just quick story he, he we walked into um used to be Harry's music in, in, uh, on Wailai and Kamiki. And, and, uh, I was showing him, he was, he was maybe eight, nine, something like that. I said, look at that. That's a, um, um, uh, what's it called? Martin. Not a, a mandolin. Oh, mandolin. Mandolin, which is an instrument that he hadn't seen before, you know, as a kid. And so he was like, Oh, that's so weird. And he blinks it a couple of times. And then the guy behind the counter says, yeah, it's tuned like a violin. And he went, Oh, and he starts playing songs. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, yeah. So he he uh, he has an amazing ear, and he can hear a song once and play it on whatever instrument you know happens to be handy. Um, whereas my daughter can't do that at all, but she reads music and plays it beautifully, and she taught herself to do that. Um, Blade can't read a lick of music. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> you know? Yeah, really weird, but they learn completely different ways. They play together. It's amazing to watch. And the great <laughs> takeaway for me, as you talked about, like sitting there practicing, so much of what we do as parents is model behaviors that we want our children to emulate or be aware of, right? So that moment where you were sitting there showing your humanity, trying hard to get something, not being great at it, um, but persisting was apparently what your son needed to see. Um, I, I guess so. I, I think actually, though, I think I would credit it to the fact that both of my kids grew up without television. And now Honest, we get to the heart of it. <laughs> that's what it was. I mean, they, they, the solution, the babysitter, obviously for most homes in America, at least, uh, is, is the, the video or the TV, whatever. Um, and that's the babysitter. And, and it's hours and hours and hours. If you don't have that in the equation, you know, they have to entertain themselves somehow. And they do. Oh, Scott, you're, you're singing my song right now. And, and I pity people who listen to me too much because that is my leitmotif. That is my number one um, just despondent cry to the universe that we are ruining our children with too much screen time and too many devices oh. and we're we're stunting their creativity and we're yeah, telling them yeah. boredom is bad and we're not giving them the opportunity to figure things out um and i love hearing that from a man who has spent his life well okay maybe a lot of it's been in theater but a heck of a lot of it's been in movies and television how do you square that I'll take the money. I have no ethics at all. Uh, no, I, I mean, I don't tell people to watch television. I don't, I don't push the merits of television. Um, in fact, I used to give, I gave a couple at the Waldorf school, uh, uh, talks, uh, to parents at different schools about, um, the ills of television or too much screen time, I guess is the, the right way to say it now. Uh, because it is, it's, it's a, it's a disease. It's terrible. And it just saps the kids 
you know, their energy, their concentration, they have no ability to, to uh, stay focused on something for more than maybe two minutes. And, and then boom, they have to have something else to, 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 to see or to entertain them. Um, it's, it's really bad. And the COVID, the pandemic, has made it all worse. I know that teachers that I've talked to, uh, and and uh, and by the way, you mentioned that I was a teacher. I'm I'm not really a teacher teacher, so I want to make that clear. I don't work in schools per se. Um, I teach uh, acting to professional actors, and um, and uh, so yeah, teach teaching in school. I have nothing but tons of respect for people that do that. My wife does that. I can't imagine it. Um, so. Yeah, but uh, teaching but, but, is something that's dear to your heart, and and you have taught people, so it's, it's sure. okay to say that. But thank you for the distinction. Well, I just because I know that there are a lot of uh, high school drama teachers or something that may have different opinions than I. Um, who's I've never taught high school or elementary school. I've taught kids classes sometimes. I'm not particularly good at it, um, but um, I get I guess I'm a little scary for kids as well. You're not uh, scary. But, uh, You're a big teddy bear. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'll take that. Can we talk Very about um, raising kids without screens? Because I think a lot of um, parents are terrified of that. And um, sure. I think that people worry that the content that is being promoted on devices is crucial content for their ability to eventually get into Harvard or cure cancer or do whatever amazing thing every parent wants their kid to do. Um, what are your thoughts on? Yeah, I think it's the opposite. I think it it it, uh, it takes away their drive, and and more importantly, it takes away their curiosity. If if a kid is never bored and has to figure out something to do, then I think that they're always expecting someone to do that for them or something to do that for them. Um, you know, uh, I find kids that watch a lot of TV, and this is from teaching kids classes in acting. Kids that watch a lot of TV, it's funny because their moms will bring them in and they'll say, oh, he loves Super Mario or some game or something and spends all his time on there. He, he's He's got to be an actor because he's just always pretending he's Mario and da, 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 da. And, and, you know, you, we have a game that we do for kids. We have another version for adults. But one, one what they do is they reach into a, a bag and they pull out something. And it could be a shoe or a banana or a fork. And the only rule is they have to use it as something that it's not. So they have to imagine and create something. And and they they um, kids do that. They love to do that. But what I found is that that kids that watch a lot of TV, or once they hit twelve, now it's younger. Now it's more like nine or ten. They immediately they'll pull out. You know, the the, the kid with the imagination will pull out a pen or whatever, and he'll go, "Hello." What do you want? You know, and he'll start using it in some way. That For it's those not who can't see you, you're holding the pen up to your oh. head, making it a telephone. That's okay. I'm here to translate. Good, good. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, and and so they'll they'll hold a shoe up or a banana and and use it as a phone and and talk on it and make up a monologue as they go, right? But the kids that watch a lot of television, they they pick it up in their hand and they stare at it and they look at me and they'll say, "It's a banana." And they're like, well, yeah, but what else could it be? You know, they don't they don't get that. There's a big disconnect. And it's only gotten worse with the pandemic, you know. It is a sad have... state of affairs. It is it is sad. One of the things that I um encourage parents to be okay with 
is bored children. I think parents are worried that if their children aren't um, engaged in quote unquote meaningful um, activities that they're somehow missing out on crucial brain development. But the truth is that the brain develops so much better when um, it's in situations where it has to figure things out and it's not being force fed, um, hyper stimulating, frenetic uh, people don't realize. Yeah, they don't realize the difference. It's funny. My wife used to have a thing where my daughter would be, when she was probably three, maybe something like that, three or four. And she, so she wasn't in school yet. And then my son was in school, so he wasn't around. And she, she would be, take a, a plastic, one of those, uh, uh, maybe the storage bins, you know, and, and she would fill it up with rice, uncooked, obviously. And then she'd, hide little toys in the rice, little, little, you know, statuey things or whatever. My daughter would play with that for like three hours. She'd be digging in the rice, setting the little people up and make, making up fantasies and yada, yada, yada. A box of rice, you know? And and it was like, that was, that was the best thing that my kids had was their imaginations. It got them through everything, you know? It was, it was, yeah, it's, it's frightening how... <laughs> How, how kids don't do that anymore. And they're I not think, able to. No, they're not able to. You're right. I mean, I think that part of the brain is being slowly stunted. Um, and I think mm -hmm. to parents who say, I need the electronic babysitter because I got to get X, Y, Z done. I mean, I understand that's a real fear. Um, and unfortunately, if you don't set it up from the beginning, then you get kind of stuck. If your child is addicted to the device and is afraid of being alone without it, um, then you are kind of stuck, but there is a weaning period that you could undergo, right? Like anything, you can wean a child off and you can get back to basics uh, if you have the determination. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and it's not really fair. Sorry if you hear the water pipes running in my Don't house. hear anything, just your voice. Okay. Um, uh, I make it sound like I did this great thing by taking the TV away and being a really good parent and yada, yada, yada. Um, Super Typhoon Paca took our TV away when we were in Guam. We lived there for two years. And in 1997, we had just moved there, really. And and uh, this Super Typhoon, which is uh, on the other side of the Dateline, a Super Typhoon is what we would call a, a, a what is it, a, a five a, a type, a, a hurricane, category five, okay. which is as high as it goes. So this was huge typhoon super typhoon and and it literally took out our electricity for uh one month and our water for two months um but we we so we had no tv no electricity no no nothing um and and uh and that was how what you just said it's so true that's how we got our start we had one month of no TV and our kids had to use their imagination. We had talked about limiting or, or getting rid of television, but I don't think we ever would have done it if I'm being a hundred percent honest. Um, God or whoever did it for us. And, and it was the best, the best month of our lives together. We, we learned so much. I read war and peace. I don't, I wasn't a reader. I never read books. I read scripts, you know, cause I had to, but I, I read War and Peace with all those Russian names. And then I kept doing that. And, and we literally had no TV in the house the rest of the time. You know, my son was my son was maybe six and my daughter was two, I think. 
and and that was when we uh, stopped. And they haven't, they didn't have TV. We didn't have it in the house until after they already left home. I love that story. Just the other day, uh, one of my children, I decided to do a spontaneous uh, ride the beaky bikes around town and get a picnic and take it to El Moana Beach Park. And I was like, yay, kids, let's do this. It's the beginning of summer. Woohoo! Of course, only one of the three wanted to go along with me. He's the one who does everything I ask him to do. Um, and <laughs> yeah. the other two were like, no, mom. And I'm at a point where I don't push my kids into doing things they don't want to do because they're teenagers and I'm trying to honor their agency. Um, so I said, okay, well, if you're not going to come with me though, I don't want you on your phones while I'm gone. Right. Cause I don't want you sitting here staring at Insta crap for two hours, three hours. Yeah. So put your phones yeah. in my room and we're at a point where I know if I say that they will do it. I don't have to follow up or check. I came home a few hours later and um, they had decided they wanted to garden and they had, you know, uprooted the entire aging part of the garden that needed redoing and they had put new things in and pulled things out and they had a plan for going to city mill and getting more things tomorrow and you know it was like look what happens when you take away the phone and you're not That's there it. like part of it was i couldn't be there because if i had been there they would have been asking they would have wanted me to see how unhappy they were they would have sulked in front of me but no phone i'm gone figure something out right and there you have That's it, it. That's it. Exactly. Because, you know, you said it earlier uh, and, and I've said it to parents, uh, uh, well, ever since 1997, uh, that that the, the, the most important words you need to hear from your kid are are I'm bored because it's the best thing for them. And I know it's annoying. I know you don't want to hear I'm bored 14 times in a row. I get it. I really do. Yeah. And, and like I said, I wouldn't have had the 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 fortitude to, to, to get rid of television if I, if it hadn't been done for me. And so I, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I understand that the hard choices involved, but boy, we, all of us never, they, when, when, when a month later, when the, the uh, cable company called and said, the power's back, uh, we're going to turn your cable on. And I asked the kids, none of them wanted it. Wow. None of them wanted TV again. That was their call. That's huge. And they were young, but it was their honest call. They they were like, no, it's better without it. And I, just and I hope wanna... people believe that because it's it's the God's honest truth. I mean, th that surprised me at the time because, I mean, I knew I was having a lot more fun with them. I didn't realize that they were too. I think that that's the beauty of this is that, you know, the truth is that people want to feel um, good about themselves. And when you're engaged in a mindless you know, soul sucking, brain busting endeavor, like watching something on a small screen for hours at a time, you know, it's not right. It doesn't feel good. You walk away feeling icky. Whereas going out and gardening or cleaning out a closet or drawing a picture, whatever wholesome thing you might otherwise do, uh, feels good. It just feels better. And if you give your kids those opportunities. Um, they will. And I, I just want to remind our listeners that this is all coming out of the mouth of a man who has made his living. <laughs> with television <laughs> and film but you know you do it for you do it as an artist you do it to help people be their best actory selves right my son went to film school and and just finished with my daughter actually down in LA making a short film and and so i mean i don't have anything against the art form i th i have something huge against the you know using it as a babysitter use not as a babysitter as a parent let's be honest you know kids are learning more from the tv than they are from your parent then then there's clearly you know something wrong um you know 
You know what I love about this conversation, other than I get to see your face, is that um, I had no idea what we were going to talk about when I invited you on. I just knew that I thought you were a really good enough parent, and I had heard things about your own dad that intrigued me uh, in the past when we would chat, and um, I had no idea about your position on television. So this is really exciting for me. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's been my position, well, like I said, since my kids were in, in elementary school, I was talking to parents. I have a whole, I mean, here, here's an example of, of something from my talks. Uh, it, it, it makes people, I think, understand more clearly the difference, you know, between like being creative and not, between watching TV and reading a book, let's say, right? If, if, um, if you uh, see on television uh, images of a, of a desert, right? Then, then you see it and boom, that's it. You've got it. Okay. But in a book, it's not that simple. Right. So they have to explain it. So they say, um, you know, that the, the, the sand mixed with dirt and the low lying vegetation looks dry and crispy. The sun is setting and the sky is really pink. And there's a scorpion scurrying in the sand, leaving a trail. And what are you doing as I'm saying that? Right. I am so there. Like, I'm right yeah, in the middle of that. You're painting a picture of that desert. And your desert is different from my desert is different from someone who's listening their desert, right? But when you see a desert, you know, on TV, boom, you see it. It's done. You're, you're in what, what's called a, a, a passive mode. In, in as little as 20 or 30 seconds of watching television, your brain goes into a passive mode. And, and this is why when you interrupt kids and they're watching TV, they, they get, you know, or you turn it off and you try and talk to them and ask them a question. They're still in a passive mode and they get grumpy because they're not set up. Their brains are set up to receive information and not to process it. And so when you ask them a question, that totally changes the, the, the mode of their brain. And, and so, you know, you can't expect them to be friendly and, and respectful because they're, they're reacting to their brain. You know? Yeah. And what makes me, um, I'm very aware of our conversation. And um, even though I'm, I'm not naming our ages, um, I think it's pretty clear that what we're talking about is antiquated technology here in a, in a sense, right? Like now in kids are almost born, they almost come out of their mommy's bellies or wherever uh, with phones attached to them. Um, you know, so the real fear now is how do you help kids um, feel like, uh, you know, acceptable, normal social beings and, and limit their phone use or even limit giving them a phone. Um, and that's a whole nother topic for another day. I don't want to get all doomsday-ish on this, on this really good enough parent podcast. Um, no, but I, I just want to say one thing to that, if I may. Yes. Just, that, that's, it's still exactly the same as it was. I mean, I understand the differences. I really do. And yes, of course, it's not just a phone. It's a supercomputer, you know, by the standards of when we were younger. Uh, uh, but but we had that too. And people used to come up to me and say, but how are you going to, the kids aren't going to know anything that like Love Boat. When we're talking about it, they're not going to know what we're talking about. It never bothered them. They didn't miss out on anything. And I don't think kids today are going to miss out because they didn't watch TikTok, right? You know, oh, well, now it's not Instagram, it's TikTok. It's, it's not it's Facebook, it's, it's, it's going to change all the time. I, I think it's all bogus. I think the kids are the ones that will decide. If you can give them a chance, if you can create your own Super Typhoon Paca, the kids are going to show you that they're really okay with it, like your kids did. Going in the garden and coming up with a project and doing it. That's what they do. 
It's better than being bored. Amen. Sorry. No, it's true. It's true. I think what, what I meant about the phones, yes, it's the same insidious junk being fed to them. It's just now harder to manage a family television sitting in the, you know, in the living room, you can control a little easier. Um, the phone is a whole new frontier. Um, so yeah. Um, let's talk about how you raised those amazing beings other, other than raising them television free. Um, you talked about your father being lax. Were you a lax parent? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Are we going to talk regrets now? Let's talk <laughs> regrets. I love regrets. Tell me all your regrets. I, I don't, re I, well, no, I do. I, I, I like, just like I would, I blame my mom for not making me take piano lessons longer. Um, I, I blame me for not following certain tracks with my kids with regard to school. Um, neither one of them went too far. You know, my son did go to film school, but he didn't graduate. He ended up leaving it. Um, my but daughter, he made a film. Come on. He, What's the he point did, of film he school? He already made a he, film. He, Who needs the degree? He went to film school and then he went into uh, uh, rock music because he wanted to have something to fall back on. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I wish I, if I could, I would have made him stick with the final year of film school. He was on the honor roll. He, you know, the dean's list, whatever it's called. He, he, he was doing really well. And he decided that he didn't want to do filmmaking anymore. He really wanted to get serious about music. And that was why he didn't do the last year. I totally regret not forcing it and making him. Um, I wish that I had. I think I could have, I think. He was already over 18 at that point, but I think I could have. He was He's always a good kid, always wanted to do the right thing. And, and so, yeah, that's a regret I have. Okay, let me ask you, though. He was a good kid. He always, you just said, he always wanted to do the right thing. Is there a chance that for him at that point, dropping out and becoming a rock musician was the right thing, even though it maybe wasn't on your agenda? It, it's, <laughs> yes, it's certainly possible. Um, I, I have trouble fathoming that but it's certainly possible and he's now coming back to filmmaking on his own terms in his own time so yeah i don't have a deep regret like oh my god i ruined my kid i don't feel like that but i, I feel like it would have been better for him in the long run to to have done especially at that age then to have done one more year get the degree then move on if you want to move on um in hindsight, it's so easy. <laughs> yeah, you know? 2020. I, and, you yeah. know, and I don't want to beat you up about this because I obviously think you're a really good enough parent. Um, uh -huh. But <laughs> I, I'm curious about like sort of we often think we can go back and do things differently. But I really believe that in that moment you were assessing what your son was telling you and what he was needing and you were respecting him. And I think that is crucial in really good enough parenting is that we don't force our own agendas, even when we feel disappointment or concern or are aware of the future regrets that we may be feeling. Um, and that's and, all you want to save your kid from that, you know? Yeah. But I understand what you're saying. And sure, yeah, he had to follow his, his own road. And I respected that. And I still do. Still do. I don't cry about it. I'm not, you know... But, but you did mention earlier before we got on the air about, you know, you're going to ask me about regrets. Well, yeah. And so. if this is your only one, then this is kind of boring. Is this your only regret? It's my, my, yeah, I think it's, it is my biggest one. Wow. Uh, I don't, 
I mean, nothing else is coming to mind. And I didn't go that far in school. I, I didn't graduate college either. Um, I left to go on the road with, with equity shows as a stage manager. And, and I thought, oh, I'm making 750 bucks a week. I don't have to do this school stuff until the show closed. I thought I was just, you know, <laughs> yeah. the hottest thing. But so, I mean, I saw it and, and they did what they did. And, you know. And I love that point because I think often as parents, we want to be aware of when we're trying to relive our own mistakes out through our kids, right? So you mentioned I didn't finish college and I really wish he had, and he may go back and do it. Um, I didn't mean to tell you that you're boring because you're the farthest thing from boring, but, and um, if your only regret is that your son, you got him through his entire childhood without a single regret. So you went to bed every night feeling like, man, I killed it today. I was the best parent. I like totally hit a home run. No regrets okay, today. One other thing with my son, one, okay. Yeah. Was he, he was kind of a crazy kid. And when he was about six, he jumped from our deck to the trampoline and missed and he landed like right on his stomach on the, the frame of the trampoline and he came in and he was sore but he seemed okay and i said you know you're probably fine you probably bruised a rib or something and and it's hurting i found out like two days later after telling him come on you can deal with it it's okay you'll be all right i know it hurts he had a ruptured spleen um, and it was so much worse than I had realized. And I was guilty for weeks and weeks. I still think about it and cringe because I told him, you know, come Suck on. It up. It up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So that's my other Thank really you. big. That's story. good. I like yeah. that one. That's definitely all right. a that's an all star <laughs> regret. I had forgotten about that, but I, yeah. I remember yeah, that was it. But that that's, I think, honestly, all the, the only two things that that I really screw you up. <laughs> so in the day-to-day -day parenting, in this way that you did, you and your wife being artists, being teachers, coaches, working in the film industry, trying to raise kids, you mentioned the need for sort of ritual, routine, consistency, um, which you said you maybe didn't have quite enough of as a child. Was that a priority for you? No. It, it it wasn't. Um, I think probably because I didn't have it growing up that it, it didn't really occur to me so much. Um, we the most important thing for us was imagination, because as Einstein said, uh, imagination is more important than knowledge. You know, and he said that for a reason. He didn't say it because you know, oh, you should just pretend stuff and fantasize all the time. Knowledge is simply the memorization of existing facts, stuff we already know. Imagination is what's required to invent new things. You have to have imagination for that. And, and, and you know, yeah, so we always did very imagination-heavy activities in our house. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. It sounds like their, it was their fun. Favorite thing, their favorite thing was the, was the, the costume chest that we had. It was a toy chest that we just used for costumes. And they played dress up things all the time, all the time. Like I say, they were never bored. I mean, you know, after the first week or two without electricity, they were never bored again. Um, they just, they're bored. They came up with something. How did you handle discipline? How did you handle the times when you had to manage things that weren't quite as fun for you to manage? I had this big stick. That, no, <laughs> oh, sorry, no. Um, it's hard. It's hard to say. Discipline. Um, 
I'm trying to think of times where I had to discipline. I don't honestly believe I ever had to really discipline my son. Um, I definitely did with my daughter, but I don't think I ever had to discipline my son because he was always trying to do the right thing. My daughter, on the other hand, is a little bit more of a Dickens. Um, and she, you know, I, I had to, the first time I think she lied to me. I don't even remember what it was, but it was something about like, you know, whether she drank at a party or something, you know. And um, So she was older. She was much yes. older at this point. Yeah, yeah. I really I was very lucky. You know, she followed Blade's lead, I think, as a young kid. Um, but she always had a temper. She always, <laughs> she did. Um, and I don't know, I'm trying to think, I can think of the things she did to me, but I'm trying to think of what she did. <laughs> You know, I mean, I'd be, I'd be on the floor doing, you know, sit-ups or something and talking to my son and daughter and my daughter would get mad at me and she would get up. And as I was sitting up, she, this one time, I, she walked by me and goes, bam, and slaps me right on my head. And I look at Blade and we're, we're looking at each other and we're just, because she stormed out of the room and we're just trying not to laugh because we don't want her to hear us because that's going to be bad. But, but you know, <laughs> there was no discipline, no involved. It was, you know, you don't hit your dad. And that was that. Um, it wasn't until she was older where I would uh, have to ground her uh, or something. And, and I think we only did that once or twice at the most. Um, she either got really good at lying to us or she stopped lying. Yeah. <laughs> I prefer to think the latter. Yeah, I'm sure that's it. Yeah. yeah I hope so. <laughs> What's interesting to me is that, so what I'm hearing or what I'm maybe wanting to extrapolate from this is that the zero to 14, 15, I don't know how old she was when you started having to be aware of alcohol and, and time out of the house or whatever. Um, that, that. What? I'm sorry, I said around that. Yeah. Around that. Okay, right. Sorry. Um, so, but prior to that, you had a fairly discipline-free parenting experience. And the reason I'm pulling this out of you is because um, I like that statistic um, for parents who allow their children to be who they are. And in situations where you're not doing top-down authoritarian parenting, where you're not setting a mind-numbing number of rules that the kid can't keep track of, or when you're not saying no all the time, and when the expectations are laid out, and you're raising your kids with demonstrative love, and you're modeling with your partner respect, that the kids generally will fall in line, and then discipline becomes less of an issue in general. Yeah, I, I think that's incredibly accurate. I um, never had those kinds of rules with my kids, never had a need. Um, I still am convinced that a huge part of that was the, the life lessons they learned from life, <laughs> you know, instead of from from the Brady Bunch or whatever I, you know, I would see when I, I'm like, why is it my mom and dad like that? <laughs> um, and so I, I think that, that genuinely shaped them a lot. And, and they they turned out to be great adults. You know, good, caring people I'm proud of. All the choices they've made, they've made for sure. But I, you know, my daughter is 25. She has, she lives with her boyfriend in the condo that they are buying together. Well, um, at that age, which I'm like so 
perfect for her, you know, and yeah. she's not doing Grubhub. She's, and, you know, and trying to act. She's not making a fortune, but, but they're smart about money and they're, you know, on it. So yeah, I'm, I'm proud of both of them. My son was living in New York for 10 years. He's now just moved to California um, on his own and, and um, proud as hell <laughs> of both of them. That's everything. You know? Yeah. And it feels like you gave them the space to figure out. You were curious about them. They pushed a little bit here and there. But just, you know, feeling, I think, um, that you're loved and respected and knowing that your parents have your back and knowing that whoever you need and want to be is going to be okay with them. Yeah, and that certainly. And I would say the same for my parents. Um, you know, my, my brother's gay. And, and, you know, it, when he came out as an adult, really, he was already over 18. So he was an adult. It was the most anticlimactic moment. <laughs> he, in fact, my dad forgot several times and my brother had to tell him again. He had to come out <laughs> 10 times to my dad because he kept forgetting. Um, he knew since he was a little kid, there was no question. There wasn't anything, you know. Everyone and, in the family and, knew? And. Well, my mom and dad, sure. Yeah. yeah. My dad didn't want it to be the case. He definitely didn't. He he saw it as a harder life right. for my brother, my, my brother. And, and, but, but it, he, he was never not accepting in any way. And, and when he did finally comprehend <laughs> what, what my brother told him several times, um, there was never any backlash or anything. And certainly nobody was, you know, when they told me, I was like, yeah, what else? You know, um, so I, I think we were raised in that environment. Um, and, and, and interestingly enough, I'm going to plug my brother's movie because um, he wrote his, his last one was I, Tanya, and he did really well off of that. He's got one now going to come out. He just finished photography on it. So uh, probably sometime in the next few months. It's called Everything's Going to Be Great. And it's literally written about our family. I love it. Not in, not specifically and not truthfully, but but the lessons and the things that were very much our family, you know? And and so, yeah, since this is a parenting thing, uh, keep your eye out. Everything's I'll put it in the show great. notes. Yeah, Brian Cranston and, and Allison Janney are in it. And, oh, uh, and they're big really shots. Good. Okay, yeah. it's real. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I thought it was real too. Um, <laughs> I'm not hearing that word. I feel like I should know the name of that movie, but. Um, oh, oh, you got one you should win. Yeah. Um, and I'd love to hear what you think of it if you do watch. All right. It. I'll it put it in the show notes Tanya, so everyone else can too. Yeah. Tanya Harding. Oh, remember oh, that her? one. Oh yeah. I remember yeah. we talked about this. Of course I saw it. Of course it, I loved it. I forgot that oh, was your brother. Yes. It, okay. It, Great movie. Oh. Huge movie. Um, I want to get back to your dad not um, accepting your brother initially. And I think the really important point, I just, especially because it's Pride Month uh, and because I'm a big advocate, I just wanted to hit this again that your, dad, your dad's non acceptance, if we can call it that initially, was out of fear. He was afraid that your brother would experience hardship. And back then it wasn't as easy as it is now. And now it isn't as easy as it should be, but we're making very slow progress. Um, but your dad was worried about your brother and that was his sure. parental and, fear. Sure. And looking at it as from my dad's point of view, he was thinking of it too, as when he was younger and what being gay was. And his brother, my dad's brother, my uncle Morton was, you know, they're, they're like, they had nine kids in the family. Right. And uncle Morton was his whole life referred to as, Oh, he's a bachelor. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> because that's all that was said ever to his dying day. He never, ever uh, admitted that, came out. How terrible is that? And I think my dad saw that. And I think he felt bad, you know, that that no one in the family could discuss it growing up. It was he's a bachelor. And they literally said that that was it, you know, um, and he was a really sweet, sweet man, just a, a mensch, as we say in the Jewish religion. I love um, Uncle Morton. I love the name. I love the idea, yeah, although I'm sorry that he had that life of not being able to really experience openly love and to live a life that was, you know, honest and yeah, free. Yeah. Not openly. We found out after his death that he did have relations with people and to our relief, to our joy uh, that he did. But how terrible to have to keep it a secret and, and not be able to admit who you are. Yeah. And we're going back in that direction now. Woke is a bad word. I'm sorry. I don't understand it. I really don't. I went to see my wife's play last night that she directed, the senior class of the Waldorf School here in Portland. And, and it was a show called The Bourgeois Gentleman or The Would-Be Gentleman uh, by Moliere. And um, I, I remarked to her because, you know, you never know if a guy's going to have to play a girl's part or a girl's going to have to play a guy's part because you don't have the right number of blah, blah, blah. And there were a couple of girls who had to play guys. And they did it really well. And I leaned over to her. I said, you know, you couldn't do this in, in Florida. Something is completely innocuous and, and innocent as kids playing roles in a play, it has nothing to do with their sexuality It's at all. And it's sick to even think that way, frankly. They're kids, but they're high school, they're seniors. So they're, they're you know, certainly they can play different roles in a, in a senior class play. But yeah, that would be considered drag. And let's not underestimate uh, the power of fear. Living uh, with that kind of fear is, it must, must be pretty, um, Pretty, I don't know, pretty something that I don't want to have to experience. So yeah. um, I'm, I'm happy to think of your wife directing plays at Waldorf schools. That's a lovely image. <laughs> yeah, she, you know, she's going to keep doing that, which is nice. She's done teaching, but they, they asked her if she, they, she'd continue to direct the senior class play. And she was like, oh, yeah, I'd love to. For those so that, who don't know, the Waldorf schools are... <clears throat> are well known for throwing everybody in the class into the play. It's not who wants to be an actor or who has a proclivity for acting. It's everybody is in the play and the senior class play is always a big deal. And it's usually Shakespeare or Moliere or one of the classics. Um, so that's lovely. Big part of yeah. just feeling, feeling who you are and taking risks and trusting the universe to support you when you go out there and do big things. Um, before we wrap up and I don't want to wrap up, I'd love to keep talking, but I know you have things to do. Um, we've talked about regrets. Can you share a few things? I feel like you've shared so many, but thing, uh, one or two sort of moments where you felt like you really connected with your child and, um, felt really good about it. Things that you did as a parent where you walked away going, man, that was a great Scott Rogers parenting moment. Yay. Oh. Honestly, I don't know. I don't, I don't think of it that way. I mean, when there's something that happens that I'm really proud, I'm proud of them, you know, for doing it because it's, because honestly, it's, it's not me. I don't make choices for them and I never really have, uh, you know, other than for safety, you know, um, and, and my son was always appreciative of that. My daughter was like, you know, I'd be like, no, don't climb any higher. That's high enough. I can do it, dad. <laughs> 
Okay, you've so, just I mean, said- my daughter. I'll give you one example. Yes. You just asked. So, so she was at at the blowhole. We were down uh, by between Sandy's and the blowhole. For those who and, don't know, we, it's yeah. on the coast on Oahu, and it's a very um, rocky, precipitous shoreline. It's where from here to eternity had its famous um, scene with Deborah Kerr. Rolling in the sand. Yeah, rolling in the sand, covered in seaweed, yeah. kissing. Okay, so it's in that area where the blowhole it's is. It's lava, yeah, lava rock cliffs and stuff. And we're down on the beach level uh, and, and walking over it, looking at the tide pools and this and that. And she starts climbing. And of course, I'm like, okay, it's high enough, honey. And she's like, no, I can do it. No, honey, that's really high enough. And she's about probably 15, 20 feet up. And I'm standing underneath her. And she goes, don't stand underneath me. Don't stand underneath me. And then she says it the third time. Don't. And she falls forward, hits her stomach on the rock, and falls backwards. And I was standing under her, and I caught her. That's my proudest parent moment. Because <laughs> she would have been, I don't know. I don't want to think about what could have happened. Because she. it was a good 20 feet that she fell. And it's all sharp lava. And I just... I happened to be underneath her. <laughs> I caught her. Thank you. Um, Thanks for being there yeah. for her. I'm really glad you were there. <laughs> Thank me for being there. God. I mean, yeah. And I'm glad I didn't listen to her that time. So this is what I'm trying to sort of figure out here as you're telling the story. Like we talk about trusting our children, giving them a sense of agency. And, you know, in order for them to trust themselves, they have to be put in situations where they need to test themselves. But we also don't want them you know, bloody and broken up. Um, so we still have to trust our own instincts um, while trusting them to trust themselves. Um, someone was telling me recently, or maybe I read a, a report of some research on um, the fear-based parenting models that seem to be prevalent where the sort of the stranger danger and that kind of thinking. Um, I was never a fan of stranger danger. Um I want my mm -hmm. kids to believe the world is a good and lovely place. And I want them to trust their own, you know, ability to understand whether someone might be a threat or not, but to sort of feed them the idea that all people are dangerous, I think is concerning. And this research that I was looking at recently sort of underscored that, that if you have a view that the world is dangerous, you're going to be afraid and you're not going to trust yourself ultimately. Um, so good for you for catching her. But you were saying something just now that really made me think about what it means to be a parent. And when you say I can't take credit for, I think that gets to the heart of a really important point. And that is when parents get too invested and either believe they're having another chance to live out their own lives, which I think a lot of folks unwittingly go into that area, um, or they believe it's that the child is uh, merely an extension of themselves, or that the child doesn't have his or her own purpose or or character or or anything notable enough that they would have that agency. I think that's when we get into trouble. So for you to say, I don't take credit necessarily. They are who they are. I was just uh, you know lucky to be here, providing some support and cheering from the sidelines. I think that's a lovely image. Um, I I think so too. I. I love being on the sideline and cheering. You know, my son, I'll say just really quick. He, he, we were, I was raised Jewish, but very reformed Jews. And I certainly didn't take that with me. My family, I married uh, someone who was not Jewish. Uh, we consider ourselves to be somewhat spiritual, but religion, organized religion certainly plays no part in our life. Having said that, 
my son knew that my dad really wanted him to get bar mitzvahed, which is, for those that don't know, it's a hell of a lot of work, a lot of work. And, and um, he, my brother did it, but half-assed, pardon me, but he, he uh, read it all in English and had it officiated. He never put in the work, never did, right? Okay, he did whatever, and my dad was okay with that. Blade said, no, I want to get a bar mitzvah. He came to me and said, I want to do this. I want to get bar mitzvah. And I was like, you know what this is? Because this is a lot of time going to Hebrew school and, you know, da, 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 da. He spent three years, you know, going to, to uh, up on the poly, the, the temple. Up temple there, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Yeah. And, and he did the whole thing. I had relatives flying out from Seattle. Nobody thought anybody in our family would do that. You know, I was bar mitzvah, but I didn't have a choice. My younger brother, Stephen, had a choice, apparently, because he said he didn't want to, and he, knew he wasn't forced to. And then he was in a show with Jan Pierce, who was an opera singer, uh, Fiddler on the Roof, and, and he did it to please Jan Pierce. That, that's what he did. He was like, Jan Pierce said, let me get you, but you need to, blah, blah, blah. And Stephen was like, oh, okay. And he just basically read it all in English. You know, he didn't read Hebrew, because it takes time to learn that, you know. But Blade did it all, and he did the right way, and he did it because he knew that my dad wanted him to. And my dad never asked him to, ever. He would never have done that. So, yeah. I love all the lessons Here's that are woven into that story, really, yeah, about respecting life. and trusting our kids. I was blown away by that decision. I really was. Hmm. And wanting to honor the family. Clearly, the the value, the family values, the the connection of the family um, we didn't talk much about that, and I know you come from an amazing family, but clearly the foundation of a family that cares and shares stories and um, supports each other is so important. Yeah, and, and, and loves each other, you know, that's the bottom line. Yeah. I mean, that, that's it, you know, and, and my son and daughter are making a movie together in L.A., and, you know, by choice. I love that. My brother and I fought like cats and dogs until we were both well into our adult into our 20s at least now we're good friends but i gotta say uh, and i was a big part of that i i, I was like Stephen, you know he's younger and he doesn't you know he's not as cool as me and uh it, it was not a, not a good light to shine on me so. and you think that it's something i'm assuming i'm not going to ask the question i'm just going to tell you i am assuming that had a lot to do with how you and your beautiful wife raised these kids that you gave them not that your parents didn't do a good job with this, but it feels like you did a more um, intent, conscious choice of providing a loving home life and modeling healthy relationship and showing that to your kids. Well, I mean, I think that my parents did that with as far as loving us and we knew that we were loved. There was no question that that uh, of that, but they did get divorced. Um, I was like already just out of the house, but my, my brother, Stephen, I think was too, but Stuart wasn't. So um, we were still all fairly young and, and, and we saw growing up what led to the divorce, which was the behavior and stuff. And so even though that really wasn't our business, you know, and, but we were there and we did see it. And I think that definitely affected us. Yeah, it does. And, and you know, it's it's no one's fault when people end up marrying the person they're not meant to be with for the rest of their lives. But kids definitely feel that um, that strife, no matter how you try to hide it, kids will feel that and it will affect them. I'm just realizing that your parents 
very astutely named you all S names, Scott, Stuart, and, and, and Stephen. Uh, Stephen. Yeah. Don't Lovely. ask our middle names. What's your middle <laughs> name, Scott? <laughs> I said don't. Oh. Uh, my, my middle name, I don't care, Eric, but they're all S-E-R. Oh. We all have the same initials. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know what they were thinking. My dad used to say, oh, so they could have the same hand-me-down initial things. Monograms. Monogram towels yeah. and sheets could get passed down. Love it. <laughs> Just be good, really, because yeah, I had that. <laughs> this has been really fun. Do you have any final thoughts, anything you're currently obsessed about or you want to share with the world? Movies, books, poems, thoughts? Uh, no, one thing, creativity. Kids need it. Adults need it. The more we use our imaginations, the more we have imaginations to use. Love it. It's a muscle. You don't use it, you lose it. Yep, absolutely. absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. Thank and you, I'm Scott. Something else acting. Thank you. Thank <laughs> we you. didn't talk about acting. We'll have to have that as a part two. How to raise Love kids it. who can be great actors. <laughs> this is more fun. Thank you. Thank you. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. This has been another episode of A Really Good Enough Parent podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you'd leave me a rating or subscribe. Subscribing helps boost my ratings, and rating me obviously helps boost my ratings, but only if you liked what you heard. But apropos that, whether or not you do or don't like this, I really do like feedback. So please drop me a line if you'd like. Let me know if there's someone you want me to interview or a certain topic you'd like me to tackle. You can find out more about A Really Good Enough Parent podcast on the Pono Roots website at ponoroots.org. That's P-O-N-O-R-O-O-T-S dot org. Pono Roots is a nonprofit program, and if you wish to support our work, donations are always welcome. And with that, I'll leave you a quote from Carl Jung and something that my children remind me of every day. You are what you do, not what you say you'll do. Thank you. Take care. Aloha. George loves Detroit.